can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you Good morning and welcome to Visionaries. I'm John Lobel, your host. And you'll find us here on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. There's also a whole bunch of other ways to reach us. You can tap in with your telephone by calling a phone number or at um, uh, iTunes. So you've probably figured out all those other ways. And you can catch all of our back shows, including this one later today, in our archive at visionaries.podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. And today, I want to talk about a conference that I just went to. And um, there's a, a quote that I like to use in my teaching. And I, I like, to, you know, first I'll give one from... The Lao Tzu's the Tao Te Ching. Do you think you can take over the universe and improve it? It can't be improved. If you try to, you'll break it. Well, I like to contrast that with something from Ray Kurzweil. The singularity is near. And he writes, The explosive nature of exponential growth means it may only take a quarter of a millennium, that's 250 years, to go from sending messages on horseback to saturating the matter and energy of our solar system with sublimely intelligent processes. The ongoing expansion of our future superintelligence will then require moving out into the rest of the universe where we may engineer new universes. Well, I have a term for that. <laughs> I like to refer to it as hubris. And um, one of the things that strikes me about that, and Ray Kurzweil likes to refer to exponential growth. And you know how <clears throat> we're all working, walking around with uh, on our, in our pockets, in our smartphones, computers more powerful than those that the Defense Department used to make nuclear weapons just uh, 25 years ago. Well, um, you know, that's how Ray Kurzweil thinks we're going to get there, to re-engineering the universe. You just keep extrapolating that exponential growth outward. But maybe there's something else implied there, and it's those are big projects, you know, things like building a Dyson sphere where you dismantle a planet like Jupiter and <clears throat> make a sphere the size of the Earth's orbit so that we can capture all the sun's energy, which will be necessary when we get to uh, being a type 2 civilization. These are the kinds of projects that certain kinds of visionaries have in mind and we can pass down the project, you know, someone can start it and their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren can continue to work on the project, but maybe we can work on it also. So there's a field called extreme life extension, and the notion is 
Um, you know, there's probably something in our DNA that causes us to age. And what if you turn that off? So what if you get to pick a number 30 years old in your body and then you stop aging? And at that point, you uh, you can continue to mature and gain wisdom and gain knowledge, but your physical body remains the same. So if you look at extreme life extension, and what does that mean? Something I work on, uh, and if you're online right now, just hop over and look at time ship. That's like spaceship, but timeship.org. So that's a project I work on. We'll have the person running the project on as a guest sometime in the future. But it's a next generation cryonics facility. So we've all heard of cryonics, people getting frozen, hopefully at the very moment they're declared medically dead, and uh, with the hopes that in 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, that whatever caused their death will be fixable and whatever damage was done by their death process and the freezing process will also be fixable and they get revived. So I'll talk about what that is, what cryonics is. I was just at a conference last weekend. We ran a repeat show last week because I was at the conference of an organization called Foresight. So you find that at F-O-R-E-S-I-G-H-T dot org. And that was founded by his, um, by K. Eric Drexler and his wife at the time way back, um, Christine Peterson, who you've heard on the show. And if you missed it, just go into our archives and you can catch up with her. And it was originally created to promote cryo, uh, to promote nanotechnology. So uh, there's a real famous talk that, um, what's his name? Slipping my mind right now. Anyway, uh, so uh, the, the talk was called There's Plenty of Room at the Bottom. And I'll think of the name of the famous physicist who gave it uh, shortly. And that became the inspiration for uh, Drexler's Ph.D. thesis at MIT. Um, and what he did is he said, how would you go about building things at the atomic molecular and atomic level? How might you assemble individual atoms, individual molecules to make little machines, little robots? And these little machines and robots could, the first thing they'd have to do is make a lot more because they would be used to make stuff. And the ultimate vision is that You'd have this toaster oven-sized device in your home, and you'd type on the keyboard, you know, a diamond ring, and go out to dinner and come back and open up the toaster oven, and there's a diamond ring. 
which it has assembled one atom at a time out of carbon. And it would have feedstock of mostly carbon, but few other um, elements, nitrogen, etc. And diamond is just carbon put together in a particularly tight matrix. So, uh, or if you didn't want to go out to eat, you'd program T-bone steak. And someone would have to create the software design for this, sort of like using a 3D printer uh, or using a 2D printer. So you go on Google Image, find an image of what you're looking for, and then click print, and <clears throat> your inkjet printer uh, prints it. Or your 3D printer prints a toy soldier for your little battlefield or a toy dining table for your dollhouse. Or, <laughs> famously, uh, people get nervous, uh, a toy plastic gun that works. So uh, there are revolutionary implications there that you can now 3D print anything in your home in plastic and then industrial ones uh, can also print in metal. Anyway, uh, Foresight was created to promote this new nanotechnology, and it's coming along probably slower than its proponents had hoped, but, you know, we're getting uh, to the designs for these little motors, little engines that are atomically scaled. And it'll probably happen at first in uh, computer chips, that uh, the thought was that this technology would make everything, you know, the, the phrase was uh, electricity, atomic energy would bring us electricity too cheap to meter. The meter would cost more than your electric bill, so you wouldn't bother to meter it. So <laughs> when I was uh, just a couple of years old, my uh, father goes out to the mailbox. We were out in the country and brings in the newspaper with news of the atomic bomb in Hiroshima. Tells my mother, in 20 years, you're going to have a, a box in the basement that'll make all the heat and all the energy for the house. <laughs> Up until uh, their death, my mother would say to my father, "Where, where, where's my box in, box in the basement? What's this too cheap to meter stuff?" Um, so, uh, some of this stuff happens slower than we think. But anyway, the um, promise was that with this nanotechnology, anything could be assembled one atom at a time, cheaper than potatoes. Anything you wanted would be cheaper than potatoes. And if you think about it, think of a Xerox machine, and I say this to my students, say, okay, here's a page of our course outline. And how much does it cost to Xerox that, you know, they get charged a nickel, say. Uh, now let's take a sh page of Shakespeare. How much does it cost to Xerox that? Same nickel. Okay, so the content's irrelevant, and the uh, Xeroxing is cheap. So suppose you had 3D printing or 3D Xeroxing of uh, a Ford motor car. 
whatever it would cost whatever. Now suppose you 3D print a Lamborghini. It costs the same. So suddenly the uh, more expensive item, because it's custom-made, more precise, they make less of them, um, it has some more demanding technologies. But what is it about a Lamborghini that is more complicated than a, you know, an SUV, a sedan, any $30,000 car? And probably just that they're making less of them and they're handmade. What if they, um, everything is handmade? What if everything is 3D printed? They'd all cost the same, including your Ford sedan and your Lamborghini. Or Ferrari, whatever your favorite is. So anyway, Foresight was created to promote this emerging technology. And I started going to conferences in Silicon Valley around 2001, 2002, and have been going ever since and keep up on things. And, of course, once you get the list of people you want to follow, you can also skip the conference. And you can keep up by just going on YouTube and searching on the people that you want to follow. And uh, anybody can keep up. So anyway, Foresight's mission has expanded. And this uh, last weekend, a uh, weekend before yesterday, uh, what were they covering? Um, BitChain. No, uh, what is it? Bitcoin, blockchain, which is how the record-keeping is done for Bitcoin, um, nanotechnology, and then uh, artificial intelligence, and extreme life extension. So Max Moore was there doing a presentation on Alcor. So if you want to get cryopreserved, we're not supposed to say frozen because— uh, <laughs> Freezing introduces cracks to the ice crystals. And now with, um, with vitrification, a uh, newer technology, it's used in um, cryonics. You can avoid that, uh, <clears throat> avoid the ice crystals. But anyway, if you want to get, pardon the word, frozen now, uh, Maybe Alcor might be your first choice. There's only really two large-scale places doing this. One of them is Alcor, and they're in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can find them online. And if you're interested in cryonics, um, go to Alcor and click on all the uh, scientific papers, <coughs> Q&As. Anything you want to know is covered there. There's also a lot of information on our website, timeship.org. Anyway, so uh, the Bible gives us, uh, where is it? Um, I think I grabbed a quote here. Uh, but anyway, uh, four score and ten. No, three score and ten. Seventy years. So, score is 20 years. And the quote from Palms goes on that uh, 
You can also make it to 80, but you'll be decrepit. (laughs) So in the past 200 years, we've seen probably a doubling in life expectancy and a doubling in, fortunately, healthy life expectancy. So we don't want to live to be 100 and for the last 30 years be uh, infirm and decrepit. You want to live to be whatever, get to that in a moment, and be vital and healthy. Well, you know, we're making certain progress, but that progress really has come from um, uh, improvements in health. Oh, I just found it. Palms 90. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet in their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So we live to be 70, uh, would be a long life in biblical times, and 80 would be exceptional, and you might be infirm. But we've seen this uh, perhaps doubling in life expectancy, although that's a tricky concept. You really, you can't say, you have to say, Starting from where? So there's been a huge increase in life expectancy from birth because 200 years ago, maybe a quarter of all people died at birth. You know, my grandmother said, I had six siblings, four lived. So uh, what's the life expectancy at birth at 15, which means you've made it through childhood illnesses at 40 which means you've demonstrated you're pretty tough. So even in the old days, if you made it to 40, you probably were going to, you know, do pretty well uh, because you had weathered the tough stuff. And I looked up something interesting. I have these big piles of paper all around my table here. So let me see if I find it. So, for example, remarkably... uh, 250 years ago, roughly, is the Declaration of Independence. And the signers of the Declaration of Independence were, at the time they signed it, John Adams, uh, 40, Samuel Adams, 53. Now, just go down this, 40, 53, 46, 39, 38, 35, 50, 37, 48. So... Most of the signers were in their, let's say, average 45 years old. And then age at death, John Adams, 90. Samuel Adams, 81. Uh, Joshua Bartlett, 65, 61. 95, 70, 68, 73. 92. Um, famously, <coughs> Benjamin Franklin actually was not as old as I thought. I think he was, um, um, let's see if I can find him here. <coughs> Excuse me. Thomas Jefferson, 83. Um, anyway, I think Franklin was around 85. So people could live a long time, even back then, if you made it to 45. But... What if we um, 
figure out what what causes aging. I mean, what what's going on here? I'm 76, and uh, my underarms are getting a little wrinkly. <laughs> what is that? Uh, why don't they look the way they did uh, 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago? And there's something, you know, obviously this is coded in our DNA somehow. And if we were to figure out what it is and turn that DNA off or change it or fix it or alter it, whatever, uh, what if you, you know, grew up aged to uh, 30 and then you continue to mature and learn and become wiser and uh, you, uh, uh, but you stay 30. And so that'd be cool, right? Now, there are some people who are against that. Uh, we can talk about that. Future shows, we'll have guests on addressing this and we can call in uh, pro and con. But anyway, uh, there's now an entire field of people addressing this. And um, some of the, you know, some people have actually gotten interested. So some of the biggest names in technology, the biggest companies, Google has a whole division, Calico, funded with a half a billion dollars to work on this. Uh, uh, Larry Page is interested in this. Mark Zuckerberg is establishing a foundation with all of his wealth to eliminate disease, just get rid of all disease. And other people are working on this. The um, key figures in Silicon Valley, big names you've heard of, Peter Diamandis has a company working on this. So many of the major figures in Silicon Valley, big tech, are devoting huge amounts of money uh, to work on this. Our project Timeship has been <clears throat> at work for a couple of decades now, and uh, the people funding it are funding also cutting-edge research on this issue. So the people saying, you know, how do we uh, fix this? <laughs> what do we do about this? So if you if you do some hunting around, actually one place to start would be if you go to timeship.org and then you go to uh, all of our, click on all of our uh, links, but then also go to news and you'll find the major articles about us in, um, in New Scientist magazine, one of the most prestigious magazine cover story. The Financial Times did a story on us. And cryonics in general, um, uh, Focus magazine, BBC magazine, uh, there are cryonics magazines. The New Yorker did an article on us. So there's a lot of information out there, a lot of people working on this. And so now you start to think about, let's say, um, well, okay. So the vision is you find the cause of aging and turn it off. Uh, when's that going to happen? <laughs> what if you don't make it? 
you know, what if you live uh, 30 more years and they manage to accomplish this in 32 years? Uh, you get left out. So <clears throat> the people who are interested in living forever, um, <laughs> one, one of the, you know, I'm, I'm knee deep involved in this. So, for example, there are committees working on what do you do with your money? Some of these people are very rich. And there have been laws and principles and states that say you can't set up a trust to last more than 100 years. Well, what if it takes 150 years before you thaw it out? These, there are billionaires involved in this field who, when they get thought out, they want their money. <laughs> so there are now states that have uh, – you can set up trusts that will last more than 100 years. And there are countries where this can be done. So if you have a lot of money you want to get frozen, it is solvable. Uh, if you go to our website, you go to Alcor, you can find the information of the people who will uh, take care of your money for more than 100 years. Uh, and then there's a famous joke about that, right, where somebody gets thawed out 300 years later and uh, – uh, this is an old joke, so there's a payphone. You know, the first thing they do is they go to a payphone and they call their bank and, uh, you know, compound interest for 300 years. Uh, how much is in my account? Um, $150 million. Incredible. And then, ding, operator, please deposit $100 million for this call. <laughs> so anyway... You hoped that for 300 years you're uh, – <laughs> uh, if you've put money aside, you hope that it grows faster than inflation. So anyway, uh, so number one, uh, first best option is to eliminate death. You don't die and you stay you know, young and healthy indefinitely. And then the uh, – the uh, second worst thing that can happen, these people like to say, is you get frozen. First worst thing that can happen is you die and get cremated. Uh, that's kind of hard to bring you back. Uh, second worst option is you die and you're frozen. And no uh, large animal has been brought back. You can bring back, you know, microscopic creatures, but... No large animals, but, you know, they're working on it. And the um, there's an organization that's funded by the same people that fund our timeship project called 21st Century Medicine. And they've been able to take a kidney out of a rabbit, freeze it, thaw it, put it back in, and it works. Actually, they didn't freeze it. They vitrified it. Freezing, you know, smashes the kidney. Uh, it's like you freeze a strawberry, thaw it out doesn't look like a fresh strawberry. Uh, may taste good because that mushiness, you know, put whipped cream on it. But uh, that ain't a fresh strawberry. So vitrification is solidifying it at cold temperature without crystallization. And uh, glass is vitrified. Vitrification is glassification, and which is the formation of a non-periodic crystal so that you don't get the crystal forms or non-periodic solid 
you don't get crystals. It's the ice crystals that do the damage. So anyway, they've been able to do that. And then, you know, if you want to ask a trick question, how many people are walking around today that at some point uh, were frozen? And, you know, you say, well, I did none. No, it's about a quarter million uh, that were fertilized embryos, frozen, and then uh, implanted and became normal, healthy people who are walking around. But fertilized embryo is single cell or two cells or a couple cells, and no problem there. It's when you get to uh, tissue the size of a human kidney, you have a problem. Rabbit's kidney, they've mastered that, although it's very difficult and tedious, suggesting that doing it for a whole person is, uh, you know, long way off. But they're, make, they're working on it. They've been doing slices of brain tissue, hippocampus, where memory's stored, and they're able to take a slice of hippocampus, uh, put electrical activity going across it, across it, vitrify a thought, and total identical activity still happens. So the activity is preserved. So, you know, maybe... Uh, so one of the big questions is, uh, let's say you get frozen and you brought back. And, okay, now what? Is, is there any memory there? Are you you? Well, one of the prominent people in the field has made up a set of test questions. He says, whatever gets brought back doesn't get my money <laughs> unless they can answer these questions. In other words, what if you brought back and it's, you know, not really you? Uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment. What's a you? What's a self? Uh, but and Tasha Vita Moore, whom we've had on this show, uh, did a project where there's something called a nematode worm. So it's a tiny little worm, and it's uh, very extensively studied because it has a limited number of neurons exactly 218 or something like that. Uh, and so they've been able to totally computer model this worm, uh, do a lot of studies of it. One of the things she did was she trained it to avoid a certain chemical. So it doesn't like this chemical. It uh, goes in that direction, runs into the chemical, and it learns to, instead of making a right-hand turn and hitting the chemical, it makes a left-hand turn to avoid it. And it retains that memory. It doesn't make right-hand turns. It makes left-hand turns. Freeze it, thaw it out still makes left-hand turns. That means the memory was preserved. In other words, if memory is like the volatile memory in your computer, is memory like the memory on your hard disk or the memory in computer memory? If it's in computer memory, it disappears when you turn your computer off if you haven't saved it to disk. If it's like disk memory, you retain it. Which is it? Well, if it's electrical activity, like the electricity and the volatile chips in your computer, uh, when you turn it off, poof, it's gone. There's no you. <laughs> when you're brought back, all the memory's gone. That's not good. 
Well, they think that it's uh, physical and chemical and not electrical, that it will it's more like the hard disk memory in your computer uh, or the SSD, solid state disk, so that when you uh, <clears throat> freeze and come back, you'll, you'll still have your memory. That's the hope. And again, we're a long way off to doing this. So oh, one of the things is the people, just to get a ballpark, very roughly, uh, very, this is very ballpark, but we might say there's about uh, 300 people frozen and 3,000 people signed up. Uh, that's it. And that's not a lot considering this has been around since the, I think the first person frozen is around 1967. So, however, every movie star has been frozen in some movie. Um, Tom Cruise in Vanilla Sky and Minority Report, Mel Gibson in Forever Young, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, Batman and Robin, uh, on and on, um, you know, most of the major movies, many of the major movie stars have been frozen in some movie or other. Um, uh, what's her name in the Alien movies? She gets frozen when she has to make a long trip. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. So people are pretty familiar with the idea from these major blockbuster movies, but um, uh, you know, how many people actually sign up? And signing up can be done at two different levels. One is you just say, okay, I'm a member and pay $15 a month. And then uh, at the last minute, hopefully you come up with the money. Um, so again, very ballpark. Um, $250,000 for your whole body, 150000 for your head. Uh, Maybe less than that, but those are those are ballpark figures, and many people get just their head done. Oh, they'll clone me a new body. <laughs> who who wants this eighty year old cancer ridden body, even if they fix the cancer? So, a lot of people just get their heads done. And Alcor, who's currently the largest company doing it, will do it either way. And they don't recommend one or the other. But uh, a lot of people in the field feel it's better to just do your head because to do the whole body, they could be focusing attention on your big toe while, you know, part of your brain is uh, is uh, decaying there. You know, but if they just focus on the head, they might be able to uh, do better preservation. And then later, well, now what? Well, now is... 200 years from now. And said, well, what, what are they going to be able to do in 100 years? 200 years. Well, will they be able to clone you a new body uh, without a head so they can attach yours or insert your brain or whatever? It gets kind of gory. Anyway, um, the thinking is that, uh, and what about all the damage from the freezing? Well, they're going to make these little nanotechnology robots smaller than blood cells that go in there and click, 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 fix all the damaged cells. 
of which there are trillions. So they're going to need a lot of these little robots. So the robots are first going to have to make themselves uh, in large numbers before they then go in and do all this uh, fixing. But then the idea is that, hmm, who knows what might happen? So when you say, what's going to happen in 100 years? What what are we going to be able to technologically be able to do in 100 years? And you think, well, okay, 2017, what were things like in 1917? And, well, they already had cars, um, uh, but, you know, they're greatly improved by today and have, you know, computers in them and stuff. But uh, so what, you know, developments did we see in the past hundred years? And Ray Kurzweil likes to say wrong because that's thinking linearly. And he claims technological development happens exponentially. So that in a hundred years, uh, if we look, if we see technology developing exponentially, it'll be more like the past 20,000 years of technological development, not the past hundred. Well, what might happen in 20,000 years of, even though it's a hundred years, but it's 20,000 years of technological development, uh, or if we make it 200 years, 200 million years of technological development, not 40,000. So if, in fact, all this uh, development is exponential. So that's the argument. And so, yes, we'll be able to uh, not only bring you back, but, and now it gets interesting. So Ray Kurzweil uh, in somewhat time in the 80s, wrote his first book on this exponential development. He said, what's the future going to be like? And he said, well, no one can predict the future. You know, if you go look at all the future prediction and everybody always got it wrong. So, but then he looks and he says, you know, there's something that's been pretty right on in the 1960s, Gordon Moore, uh, co-founder of Intel, uh, stated what's called Moore's Law, which is not a law, it's an observation. The observation is, and we'll put it very roughly, because he he means something specific, but to put it roughly, computer capability doubles every two years. So that's a very rough statement of Moore's Law. Actually has to do with the number of transistors and that kind of thing. But computer capability doubles every two years. Hmm. What's computer capability going to be in two years, four years, 10 years, 20 years? Well, we don't know that Moore's law will, uh, will remain. What if it speeds up or slows down? But he's observed that, oh, you know, it's been absolutely right on. So for 20 years, Ray Kurzweil observed in the 1980s, not only is Moore's Law held, but he extrapolated backwards. He says, it's not just transistors on a chip. It's information technology in general. So that, 
hmm, if we go back 100 years and look at mechanical relays and then vacuum tubes and then transistors and then chips, we've been seeing a continuing um, playing out right dead on of Moore's Law. And recessions, depressions, world wars, there's not a bump in the graph. It just keeps on going. So here's an example of technology that is predictable. You know, we were told in the 50s we're going to get flying cars and cities on the moon and all that. And there's a famous phrase, hey, dude, where's my flying car? But anyway, this one seems to be pretty, you know, stay pretty right on. So with that confidence, Ray Kurzweil extrapolated forward. And what he did is he said in 1990, 2000, 2010, what is the capability of a computer going to be? And he was a computer scientist, so he could, um, you know, pretty closely understand what this meant. And then he said, okay, with that many MIPS, with that many um, million instruction sets per second, um, with that computer power in 1990, 2000, 2010, what will you be able to do with that computer power? When can you do speech recognition? When can you do um, translation? When can you, can a computer do uh, recognize the difference between a cat and a dog in an image? Uh, how much computer power does it take to do that? And then we know when we'll have that computer power if Moore's Law uh, sticks, and so far it has. So, uh, long digression, and the point being the people who have been getting frozen or who are signed up, <laughs> I go to these conferences where uh, all these people are wearing ID bracelets uh, that says on them, in case of death, pack head in ice and call this 800 number. <laughs> you know, the people who are signed up for cryonics you know, ideally envision they should die in a hospital with the uh, cryopreservation team sitting right there, poised on the edge of their seats. And the moment the doctor declares official declaration of death, they pounce. The team pounces and starts to do the cryo preparation, drain the blood, put in the cryoprotectants, lower body temperature, all that stuff you don't want to see. If you do want to see, you can watch a video on Alcor's website. Anyway, what if you you know get hit by a bus uh, in a city street and you're not in the hospital? So they have these bracelets uh, to hopefully get um, the best. Uh, <clears throat> the best technology they can get in the circumstances. Well, these people are really smart people. Uh, you know, we may find them to be uh, people in my world tend to be uh, humanists. And maybe the cryonics, cryonics people tend to be materialists. So, you know, do they believe in a soul? Do they believe in an afterlife? Do they believe in this or that? You know, there, there could be a difference between the people that I hang out with in the art world and the people I hang out with in the tech world. But in any case, 
These are smart people. And they know, you know, well, what are the chances of this actually working? It's actually a long shot. So before we go into that, uh, let's take a break and uh, we'll listen to some promos for other PRN shows. And I will, I'll be back in uh, just a moment. Have you ever listened to Anthony Robbins, watched the movie called The Secret, or read about the power of positive thinking from the perspective of any of the many fine authors who have written about the subject? They all focus on the law of attraction, which governs every second of every life of every person in the universe. Like attracts like, and everything you do, feel, and think about as a regular way of being determines your life experiences. PRN's new show, LOA Today, explores all aspects of this magnificent law of the universe every Thursday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Join hosts Walt Thiessen and Yuona June Thiessen as we explore the law of attraction each week. That's LOA Today, Thursday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. here on PRN. You're tuned to PRN. We'll keep bringing you the best in alternative voices for social and political news, the environment, health, the economy, and a whole lot more. All you have to do is keep listening. PRM, the Progressive Radio Network. Hi, I'm David Crow, host of The Infectious Myths, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time here on PRN.FM. I love science the way it should be practiced. But a lot of modern science is corrupted by financial interests and serves a master other than the public good. Myths continue to be constructed around viruses, vaccines, forensics, and pharmaceutical drugs. People are dying and ending up in jail because of them. Listen to me as I deconstruct the myths that those who call themselves scientists weave, or when I wander into social and political topics. If you're new to the show, check out our past episodes at infectiousmyth.podbean.com. Thank you for listening to PRN, the Progressive Radio Network. Hi, and we're back. I'm John Lobel, and if you just tune in, this is Visionaries. We're here on PRN.FM every Monday, 10 a.m., uh, Eastern Time, you can catch all of our back shows on visionaries.podbean.com. So we're talking about living forever. <laughs> what would it be like if you lived for 100, 200, 300, 500 years? And uh, time to start thinking about that. Uh, there was an issue of Time magazine a couple of years ago. It had a picture of a shaved head with a wire plugged into the base of the skull. And it says, Immortality 2045. So that's a date some people are using, 2045, for when we'll achieve immortality. And you might have heard that uh, date 2045 in a Big Bang episode where Sheldon uh, it opens with Sheldon working on whiteboards all over the living room. And Leonard comes out and says, what are you working on? You know, dark matter? He says, no, I'm calculating when I'm going to die. Uh, 
to see if I can make it to 2045 when I'll be uh, uploaded into a computer and become immortal. And I'm not going to make it. So uh, I'm distressed here. I better start eating, uh, I better stop eating pizza. So anyway, it's it's one of the better, uh, one of the great episodes. We meet Steve Wozniak in that episode as well. But um, so, you know, how do, how, oh, so let me just get back to uh, where I was when we, before we took a break. The people who are into this, people who are signed up to be frozen, they're really smart and they know uh, it's a long shot. But they also have confidence in uh, the technology in 100 years, picking a round number, being very, very different than it is today. So that, uh, you know, when they, quote unquote, come back, how will that be? Well, suppose you were to clone a new body, identical to the one you have, but the first thing you want is it's got to not age. You don't want to be 80 years old, die, come back, and you're 80 years old and you die at 85. Um, you got to stop aging. And you got to get your body back to, you know, 30 years old. So <clears throat> I'm picking that number. You pick your favorite number. Uh, so, okay, that's one possibility. There you are, 30 years old, you don't age. You're running around, you're having a good time, you're in great health, and you're not going to age. So just don't get hit by a bus. But then, um, you know, we're talking about the ability to fool around with DNA, right? What about CRISPR? Uh, And what can they do in 100 years? So, you know, you want to be a little bit taller and not have that gene where you get bald and maybe get that gene where you can eat as much as you want. You don't put on weight and, you know, a little this, a little of that, and you start. And now, well, wait a minute. Why not just totally rewrite the whole genome? And then, you know, to be some type of creature that we're not even imagining because we're going to have 100 years of the equivalent of 20,000 years of imagination to back up whatever it is you're going to be when you come back. And then um, maybe you skip biology. Maybe you get downloaded into a chip. So a couple of schools of thought here. <clears throat> One is get get your head frozen because <laughs> that's where all the memory is. Now, you know, what if you think that your self is in your body? What is your self? Is there a self? Talk about that for a few minutes. Oh, wow, we're running out of time here. Uh, anyway, uh, um, there are people who are figuring, oh, we'll just get uploaded into a chip. And now you won't age at all. If the chip starts to deteriorate, you just move over to another chip. And there's a... I buy more books than I read, I have to confess. But there's a science fiction book I uh, bought a while back about several billion people living on one chip or seven billion entities uh, existing on one chip. And what's, what's that like? <laughs> they go to war with each other. Uh, you know, what, what are things going to be like? At some of these conferences, there's a guy I run into who talks about doing away with evolution. Evolution is a random process of nature of dog-eat-dog. Dog. Uh, 
Uh, suppose you replace evolution with development, that we choose what's going to happen rather than allow it to unfold evolutionarily. So, what well, you know, very different possibilities out there. Fortunately, we have science fiction writers and some smart people speculating about what this is going to be like. So I opened the show with that quote from Ray Kerr's file where um, we're going to, let's see, um, saturate the matter and energy of our solar system with sublimely intelligent processes. So, you know, we might picture uh, people in space suits, space suits with glass helmets, with spanner wrenches, building a Dyson sphere, <laughs> assembling computers on the moon. Uh, that, you know, maybe uh, it'll be very, very different from that. That, and certainly Kurzweil thinks so, that our intelligence will merge with machine intelligence and. I think that's already happening. That's what happened when you write a book, when you read a book, when your fingers move across a keyboard, when your eyes look at a flat screen. You are interacting with a computer. You are, you know, it's going to be easier when the chip's in your brain and you don't have to, you just think instead of typing and you just know instead of seeing. But you know, we're getting there. We're, we're, I think we're already in that process. That's what a, our interaction with an automobile or a hammer or a computer is. Uh, I'm a McLuhanist, so, uh, you know, a machine extension of ourselves. So um, we come back, this very different uh, creature, we get... We get, um, how to put it, we get uh, reanimated, not just as our biological self, but as this uh, totally new uh, self merged with, they use that word, the machine. The machine, you think mechanical, but uh, they use machine for computers, so, you know, machine intelligence, machine learning. Um, so we come back to these very different creatures. And how do we get there? Well, people I work with are working on freezing, but there are other people that are proposing plasticizing the brain. So perhaps you've seen the actual exhibit or ads for an exhibit of bodies with the uh, skin removed and you see all the muscles and preserved in plastic. Well, suppose you do that to the brain. Uh, you solidify it in plastic so that it uh, won't uh, deteriorate. But then uh, when it's time, when they can do it, they uh, scan your brain, detect all the synapses, uh, recreate those synapses in software, put that on a chip, and you're back. So there's a group called 2045. So if you go to Google and look up 2045, uh, the number's all over the place because that's Kurzweil's year for the singularity when we merge with machines. But uh, 
There's a Russian group, 2045, that are working on creating avatars into which to download themselves. So, <clears throat> wrapping up, this is John LaBelle. This is Visionaries. We've been talking today about living a long time, like maybe a couple thousand years, and how to get there, like being frozen till they can uh, fix you and merge you with uh, with the machine, to use the term, or the people in uh, the 2045 people who are proposing to build avatars into which to download themselves and this whole new world that they're bringing about. So let's wrap up. Visionaries, tune in again next Monday and at 10 a.m. Eastern Time or catch our show on visionaries.podbean.com.